Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Love Talk Radio. It's time for the Bastard Hour. The Bastard Hour is an in-depth look at things affecting today's veteran. The Bastard Hour is sponsored by www.hadit.com. If you need help with the VA... Log on to hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Jay Basher. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Basher Hour. This is Jay, along with my co-host, Mr. Gerald Cook. It's the 30th day of July, 2018. We've been a bit under the weather here. It's been raining for the last couple of hours pretty hard, hot and heavy, both here and in Gerald's location in the great state of Missouri. And uh, we have a special treat today. We have Dr. Bash. He's going to be on here in a minute. He's uh, he's taking care of tying some loose ends, but he's going to come in and talk about his Bash Bulletin. And uh, this bulletin basically is going to cover uh, the importance of getting an independent medical opinion when you have your VA claim. So he'll tell us all about that good information, and we'll uh, discuss uh, spinal cord injuries in the next part of the show. So... Just bear with us, and Dr. Bash will be here in just a couple of minutes. Gerald, how you doing today, buddy? Well, I'm doing all right, John. Uh, uh, staying out of the weather there. Uh, went to the doctor staying this morning the... and just made it home here, and and it started raining, so I've stayed indoors ever since. <laughs> oh, Don't want to get well, wet. That's a... You probably hear some background when you I think Dr. Bash has finally made it back. Are you with us, Dr. Bash? Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Hi. Okay. Okay. We did. We've already started with the discussion topic. We're going to talk about starting off with Bash Bulletin and uh, the one that deals with the importance of getting the independent medical opinions or examinations when dealing with VA claims. Right, right. For the, for the examination? Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah but, a, I mean, you know, you. Have you a specific question? Yeah. Uh, basically, just uh, kind of an over, uh, you know, just based on your uh, bulletin itself, you know, how you wrote it up, you know, just basically reports getting, you know, evaluation and what to look for and things like that and what type of evaluation a person needs and, you know, what type of doctors and things like that. Just, just you know, information. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, you know, those CMP uh, examinations or DBQs, you know, are important because that's the way the VA provides nexus. You know, the DDQ and the exam is basically the rating percent and the nexus is the linkage. So um, the VA can hurt you on both sides of that. They can down downplay the exam and they can downplay the nexus. So the best idea is to be prepared when you go in. And one way to be prepared is to make sure you get as much testing, as much testing as you can. So, for example, maybe you have a spine injury and it's gotten worse over the years and you get a repeat x-ray or MRI scan that shows that it got worse, then that's good evidence that the VA has to think about 
instead of just relying on, on a physical exam that might be a little bit better, depends on the day and stuff like that. So that helps. That that applies for kidney disease and applies for hearing tests and applies for everything. Try and get testing to document what's going on. And then I always talk about trying to find out who the examiner is. Sometimes they have nurse practitioners and PAs, and uh, those guys oftentimes don't have the depth of knowledge. You know, I had a patient last week that had um, had all kinds of problems. Had like some weight, some weight loss, had some arrhythmias, and then. Lo and behold, the lady had a bunch of hair loss in service, and so then, you know, later on she ended up with thyroid disease. And you put that all together, she had thyroid disease back in service, and that was all part of that hair loss problem she had. And you know, as nurse practitioners and PAs just aren't able to deal with all those different complicated aspects of the of the medical part, and so they just take a little piece of it. You know, the VA says, look at the person's, you know, look at their spine, or just look at their with their hair loss or something. It's kind of like the old story with the elephant. You know, somebody feels the trunk and somebody feels the tail and somebody feels the side of the elephant and they don't realize it's an elephant until they put it all together. So that's a puzzle. Also become, yeah, it's a little puzzle. That's why, that's why I like, like medicine diagnosis. It's a puzzle. And so then, you know, you got to make sure you have good lay letters. Get those done first. I always recommend getting an IME, you know, a nexus letter. Get yourself a nexus letter before they, you go to the exam. At the exam, they won't let you enter new evidence. You want to make sure you get that stuff uploaded a few days before so that, that way the examiner's got to read it and has a chance to look at it. And mm-hmm. If they don't look at it or integrate it, then that's an automatic kind of appealable thing because it's, you know, it's an error not concerning all the, all the evidence. Let me reiterate that. Dr. Bass mentioned the term IME, folks. That's a very important term. I mean, you've got an IMO, which is a medical opinion, but an IME is a independent medical examination, and that's kind of a little bit higher level. And a little, the VA takes a little more, uh, little, little more weight to that examination versus an opinion. So that's a, that's a good point, Dr. Bash. Yeah, the IME is a big deal. So like, I had a guy the other day that had like five issues, and um, – the VA only did one IME on that person, you know, DBQ. So I wrote my DBQs, and sometimes they take them, sometimes they don't take them. But when I do a DBQ, that forces the VA to do some DBQs on their side. So they had to go back and examine for the five, you know, four or five leftover issues. And then we can compare notes and stuff like that. So, yeah, those IMEs are important. You know, the X-ray is kind of an IME, and the lab tests are kind of an IME because all those, all those data points, you know, match up to help the, help the claim get rated. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I tell patients also think about the worst case scenario, which is really the idea of a flare-up. The VA has a lot of rules about flare-up, and so the examiner yeah. is supposed to talk to you about flare-ups. And so a lot of patients are stoic; they don't want to talk about it. They take pain meds before. I tell them, don't take your pain meds. Also, make sure you talk about the worst case day with the flare-ups, so that the examiner has a mm-hmm. chance to to do it. And you know, you know, sometimes the examiners will give you leading questions, like you feel great today, or you feel normal, right? The patient says, yeah, I feel great to whatever. And so you just write down normal. When really the patient might have chronic pain. So that's yep. important. Also, I tell them, make sure for the exam, they take their crutches, their wheelchair, their cane, or their braces, any of that stuff. Because oftentimes if the exam might spend 10 or 15 minutes, and if there's no crutch, cane, or wheelchair, it's not going to mark any of that stuff down. So yeah, make sure you use all those devices. I know we had a guy here that was uh, somewhere in the, one of the VA systems was going in for a C&P exam. 
he got his cane out of his car and struggled into the VA and went through his exam. He come back out in the parking garage and popped his trunk and put the cane in there and got his car and walked off like, you know, there's nothing wrong with him. They used that against him. They had him on video. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I always tell mm. I always tell the patients the exam starts in the car and into the car, you know. Because I've had mm-hmm. examiners look at people through windows and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's important. Right. You know, I also talk about this idea of a walker. Like, I asked patients, he's a walker. I said, no, he's a walker. And I said, do you go, you know, if you go to Walmart, do you lean on the shopping cart? He said, I can't go anywhere without the shopping cart. So, that shopping cart is really a wheeled walker. So, I make sure the patients can describe things in the way that the examiner can understand, you know. Yeah, that's true. And my wife, every time she goes into the store like that, she grabs onto a cart and uses it. Yeah. Sometimes I have to, too. Yeah. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. So the the patients don't really think about that as a walker, so that's important. That's one of the the big questions on most of the orthopedic DVQs talk about, do you use a walker, Mm -hmm. cane, crutches, wheelchair, you know? What is your opinion on the DVQs now? Do you like the format or do you think it can be improved? Uh, well, like I always talk about the fact that you know, they could always be improved, but you know, the um, I've got them memorized now, so I, I, don't, I don't worry about the format so much anymore. But you know, I can just go through them. But the um, you know, there's 65,000 codes, and there's only 70 DBQs or so, so they're kind of a broad brush. There's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff in each DBQ. It doesn't apply to the to the specific radio. Like I'll leave things blank, and patients go. Hey man, some of these things are blank, and so a lot of stuff doesn't even apply because it's just a shotgun, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the, yeah. like say for the knee, a lot of that range is based on the range of motion and stability, and there's eight pages of questions, and it doesn't doesn't really mm-hmm. match up with the reading schedule, you know. So, and they're confusing. Like a lot of VA doc, you know, a lot of VA doctors, there's places on the spine thing where it asks all these questions about spine disease, and at the, towards the end, it asks a question about whether this patient has intervertebral disc disease, and a lot of the doctors will check that as no when a patient has it. So, the, so the the DBQs are confusing to the medical logic because our logic, the way we are taught to do exams and evaluations, is is a different order and a different logic pathway. So, the DBQs are kind of confusing to the physician, you know, until you get them memorized because they're kind of backwards in a way. You know, they're more they're more of a legal document than they are the medical document. So it's kind of hard to mesh it sometimes. Well, wouldn't a DBQ be a better doctor if it had a a place uh, for you to write an opinion? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, so, that, yeah, yep, you're exactly right. So, the DBQ usually question two, three, four, somewhere there, and ask the question about what the history is, and they give you like a quarter of an inch or something. Usually, what I yeah. do there is I tell the patient, I tell the patient, see, attach a lay letter, and let them write, you know, as much as they want. I have some lay letter samples that talks about, you know, where it happened and what happened in service, what happened now. So there's no space for it. And the same thing for the doctor. Towards the end of the DBQ, many of those DBQs only have like half an inch or an inch space to try and write something. So like if I do my nexus letter, you know, my nexus letter might be one, two, three, four pages for each issue. It depends on how big it is. I might have I might have integrated lay letters. I might have integrated some literature. I might have brought in some imaging tests, you know. And so I put in rationale and I might, critique the doctor's opinion, so all that stuff there's no way I can put that half an inch on the page and if I typed it really small. So you know it's almost a setup it's almost a setup for 
failure because it doesn't give the doctor any chance to explain himself. So then if you fill the DVQ out and send it in, then the VA says no rationale, and they deny it because there's no rationale. So, yeah, but when, yeah, the, uh, uh, when the CMP examiner, uh, he writes uh, or they write a opinion, because um, usually they say, you know, it'd be a fragment of my imagination or something. Yeah, yeah uh, speculation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, you're right. Well, you're right, you're right about that because uh, you know, the VA has the VA has their own special website for DBQs. You might have seen some right. of those. Some of these you see these DBQ forms look. The ones the VA doctors use look a lot different than the ones that they issue on their website, right? Yes. So, yeah, I've seen a couple of those. I had, I had a yeah. yeah, I had one yes. for heart disease here back in the last or the latter part of last year, and uh, they sent me a DBQ. I filed for uh, AFib and arrhythmias, and they sent me a DBQ yeah. for hypertension. So I had to get the right one, print it off, take it, and get it filled right. out, and then uh, yeah. then they went back to the CMP examiner, sent an addendum to her, and asked her the same questions over and over again with an opinion. So that's, that's when the first time I saw their own internal form it was on. It got yeah. it got it showed on e-benefits. So I guess what's this? And then I seen yeah. what it was. It had yeah. a place for an opinion yeah, on for, it. Yeah, exactly. It says for internal VA use only, and then it has a section that says rationale and opinion. Right? It has a big place that talks about right. Prompting the doctor to provide rationale, whereas the the other DVQ just says comments or something like that. So yeah. you know, it's so. it's kind of it weights it in favor. The other thing, what you just mentioned, was the fact that the, a lot of the VA doctors do their DVQs online, so they have an online online form, so they can type they can type a couple books in there. There's no limitation on the space they use because it's just an online. Whereas the paper ones are limited, you know, to the space that you have, sort of. Unless you attach something to it, that it might get lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So yeah, it's weighted. The whole thing's kind of weighted in favor of the VA because it's not as fair to the outside doctor doing DBQs. Hmm. Yeah, they've got so many DBQs. It's a, I think it's a crapshoot. You know, I mean, the veterans. You know, they've got enough to do, and then they go through and. That just just have to get a medical degree just to find out what's wrong with him. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's right. A lot of these, you know, a lot of these veterans have complicated disease. That's part of the problem also with the PAs and nurse practitioners. They don't have much experience. They're younger and oftentimes aren't aren't as old as the disease process in the patient. For example, you know, they've never seen anything mm-hmm. extends out long over time, so yeah. they don't have a good chance to try and describe what the history is. Well, that's why we get good doctors like uh, yourself and a few other folks, you know, actually can navigate this system. You know, a lot of folks try to navigate it and they can't do it. So, but, uh, you know, if you've been doing it as long as you have, how many years have you been doing this now? Uh, more than 20 for sure. So, probably, my first one probably in 86, maybe 30 years now. <laughs> Time flies. 30 years. So, um, <laughs> it does, don't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it's crazy. But the other thing is that just a lot of these cases extend back over 30 years, you know, and so the rules that applied 30 years ago still might apply under CUE and so on. And some of the rules that applied five years ago may still apply to cases that are pending. So it's nice to have that perspective on seeing the VA change over time because then I know, 
you know, kind of how it's supposed to go. And then my thinking, mm-hmm. you know, my thinking might be in line kind of with the DRO because they're older guys and they've seen the same series of changes, you know. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, for example, the VA will tell you that if you file a claim that's so many years old, you know, your condition has to meet what the regulation stated at the time you, at the time that happened, not 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 in the today's current world, but it happened, you know, back in 1986 or 85. That's 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 what they look at. You know, they yeah. have to use the regulations back in effect at that time. They're covering time periods, so you know, and they change. They change. Right. You know, pretty much. Uh, they change a lot, you know. I mean, they try to uh, they try to reduce a lot of stuff, and they'll try to take severities away, and it's just a it's, it's just a headache. Yeah. So we talked a lot about. I think before, prior service talked about strain. The VA has gotten on this yep. thing of strain a lot, where they instead of giving people arthritis, they call it a strain, which maxes out like ten percent instead of a higher percentages for arthritis. So they're kind of using yeah. the schedule against the patient. Patients don't realize that they're rated for. You know, lumbar spine strain is limited rating because it's not a full-fledged arthritis. So, strain's not really, I mean, it's, a, it's just a strain. It's not, uh, you know, I mean, unless you've got an MRI showing you got some disc problems and bone problems, that's not a strain. That's arthritis. Right. You know, so right. A, I think it's a whole different rating. That's why. Yeah. Yep. But uh, they also have uh, what in the back injuries they've got two sets of criteria. They've got a verbal disc syndrome, and they've got traumatic arthritis. It's rated two, under two different programs. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. you got to be able to separate those yeah. two out too, and that makes it, uh, you know, but makes it difficult. Makes it difficult. Uh, uh, would scoliosis fall into that uh, uh, program of? Uh, uh, arthritis or rheumatoid arthritis? Yeah, yeah, scoliosis is just a description of a little bit of a curve, you know, like S for scoliosis is kind of like the S curve is the way I think about it. But the uh, a lot of people, a lot of people have a little bit of a leg length difference. Nobody has perfect leg length, and a little bit of leg length will cause a little bit of a spine twist, you know. So over time, I had a guy this week that came in and had scoliosis and. On the way in, I said, I said that it was, um, I said that his was aggravated in service, and he went to the, went to the, he came into service. Like I said he came into service fit for duty, and then his back was aggravated in service, and it went to the DVA. The DVA judge says I was inconsistent. <laughs> his sidekick judge, I said no, I wasn't inconsistent. Scoliosis is a sort of a normal phenomenon, but when he was in service, his back degenerated. It was aggravated over time, so that's totally consistent. You know, you can come in, you can come in fit for duty with scoliosis. Almost everybody has some scoliosis. So the, the judge didn't really understand the medicine, and so that's why it was confusing. But so then scoliosis can be caused, you know, pathologic scoliosis can be caused by a lot of things, like you mentioned arthritis, or maybe a vertebral body fracture, or maybe somebody had a amputation, or had leg length shortening, or something like that. So there's a lot of ways for it to to occur, and then. Um, and something of interest you guys might want to know about. It's just very interesting that I saw this last week that they had, they're using large pieces of parachute cord with some um, bolt, screw bolts into the into the spinal two bodies and using the parachute cord on the convex side of the curve to straighten the curve out under kind of you know the elastic tension of the nylon cord or whatever something like that. 
So that's a pretty interesting thing because you see, you see always put rods in, these big rods to try and straighten out scoliosis. Just a little less invasive, oh. kind of a new, new thing. I'm that, yeah, yeah, the rods, the rods are stiff. Whereas this parachute cord-like stuff is more flexible, you know. That's a new little twist and twist kind of interesting. We'll call that the bungee that's cord procedure. Top, right? Yeah. <laughs> bungee, bungee yeah. It looks like yeah. a bungee cord, big old thick cord, yeah. Uh, let me ask you, Gerald brought up a good point on scoliosis. I mean, scoliosis, a lot of veterans have scoliosis because a lot of veterans have other yeah. issues, you know. But, you know, for yeah. example, the spinal cord injury, we'll touch on this later, but people with paralyzed diaphragms, you know, like one side, yeah. say if it's uh, left side, your shoulder on your left side when your, when your diaphragm is paralyzed always elevates. You can see, you know, you can see it on yeah. the x-ray. That's how they usually catch it, you know. And over... Yeah. A long period of time where that shoulder stays elevated, that's going to cause you to have scoliosis. Yeah, anything anything that throws the body out of balance, you know, can whatever mm-hmm. causes that muscle paralysis, the diaphragm is probably causing some paraspinal muscle problems or other types mm-hmm. of strap muscle problems might be coming from your neck, for example. Yeah. So then that's going to yeah. that's going to cause the shoulder to modulate maybe in a compensatory fashion or whatever. Then that's going to change the weight and balance on your spine, and then, you know, it's going to start to aggravate everything. So, yeah, and, you, and then you might not use your shoulder right, and that shoulder might go bad because it's being overused, and, and the wrist might go bad on that side because it's the same kind of thing, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. What about atrophy in your shoulder if you have a situation? I mean, we're waist away. Like, I've seen some folks, you know, their shoulders yeah. elevated like that, but it's half the size of the other shoulder on the other side. Yeah. You know, they'll be wearing yeah. they'll be wearing a shirt yeah. and you know on your sleeve your sleeve will come yeah. down on your right side about oh you know next to your elbow and the left side it goes way down past your elbow. <laughs> right 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 yeah right yeah. right so the um, well, atrophy you know if you don't use something to atrophies but also if you have a nerve if you have nerve damage or muscle damage you can atrophy on that basis too so VA has a lot okay. of questions in their in the DBQs about atrophy and um, it's you know it's a it's a Sign you can see, and you got to try to figure out the cause of it. But mm-hmm. in the cases like that, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's nerve damage that causes the atrophy because the muscle's not being used. Not being used, or like the light switches turn off. The... Light switches turn off. Yeah, yeah, not getting any juice. Not getting any juice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true. I mean, it's uh, it has a lot of effect on people. You know, it's been rough on me. You know, because it affects my entire left side still. That's a huge problem. Also, you might get contractures from it. So, say, for example, you lose your muscle, like your, your triceps, which straightens your elbow out. Then your elbow's like, mm-hmm. perpetually bent. And then when you have a perpetually bent yeah. joint, it can fuse or the, the biceps can get tight and you have contractures. You see a lot of stroke patients or paralyzed patients have oftentimes contractures because yeah. they can't stretch for range of motions. So. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense. But, uh, again, but I don't think the DBQ has enough, you know, in that situation. I've never actually seen one, you know, for certain like spinal cord and things like that. But I've seen, you know, just different, uh, you know, it's got muscle skeletal issues with your back and bones and, and the disc and stuff. But it doesn't really cover that much on the neurological side. I haven't seen many of them. You right, probably have, but right, I have. Right. Yeah, no, they don't. The DBQ doesn't doesn't really cover it. The um, yeah, 
well, spinal cord, you want to get it, but spinal cord has, you know, some multifunction problems. So, you know, the DBQ is, like I say, mostly musculoskeletal range of motion and so on. But, you know, spinal cord has 10 million fibers going down there, and so there's a lot of functions that are going on. You know, so, for example, all those, most of those things don't talk much about the neurogenic bowel and bladder part of it, which is huge. You know, the bladder can be like 60% by itself, and the bowel can be 100%. And those are huge, huge, huge problems with spinal cord that could kill patients and cause infections and septicemia. And, uh, you know, skin, then you get skin breakdowns because you can't feel. Oops, sorry, the DBQ doesn't talk any about the skin breakdowns, you know, decubidi, bye-bye decubidi. And then um, the DBQs don't really talk about contractures, you know, from spinal cord. We just mentioned that, in fact, you can have knee, hip, ankle contractures, or you could have heterotopic ossification, new bone formation from little traumas or hemorrhages that you get, like, in your hip joints. You know, DBQs don't talk about any of that kind of stuff. They don't really talk about, you know, erectile dysfunction either, which is something that happens in spinal cord a lot that patients have problems with. And then, you know, if you have catheterizations for your bladder, you might get urethral strictures. You might get urethral blind pouches. Same thing with the rectum. If you have to do digital stimulation, you might get fissures or you might get some kind of little neuromas or you might get prolapse erectum. And if you have complications of bladder, you might have surgery with a loop and you might have a colostomy or some kind of a ostomy to drain your superpubic catheter. You know, none of those DVQs really talk about any of that stuff. So, you know, you got to really know, you got to really know the medicine. So a patient like that comes down, I really, I dig into it because a spinal cord patient or a stroke patient or a multiple sclerosis patient, all those kind of have a similar Spinal column pathway, we're going to have bowel, bladder, skin, and ED, and contractures, and muscle, you know, blood clots, you know, blood clots in the lungs, your pulmonary embolus. <laughs> goes on and on, you know. And the DBQ doesn't mm-hmm. scratch the surface any of that stuff. So it's not good, guys. But you, really, you touched, we underrated. You touched on strokes and things like that. You know, of course, if you have a stroke, it's, there's a window there that they have to give you, was it the TPA medicine they shoot you up with? Yeah, try to reverse the effects of stroke. Yeah, there's a lot of ins and outs to that. So stroke, there's a couple types, main types. One's bleeding stroke and one's a non-bleeding stroke, you know. And so that Mm -hmm. TPA stuff, I was around when they first started using it, GW, 20, 30 years ago. So there's a lot of protocols out there, like how much time you go before you can give the TPA or how long you wait. And one thing you don't want to give that anti-clotting stuff to somebody who's having a bleeding stroke. That's one of the big things because you can make the bleeding worse. So usually they want to do like a CT scan to make sure there's not a lot of blood there. And then there's like a window. There's a window of time. And actually, I was at a conference this last winter, and they're talking about increasing the window maybe up to 18 hours or, or even a day later, a lot longer than what we used to think. I used to think like in the hour range, that might be in the day, you know, day range. So... Um, and that's the whole justification for the rapid transit and the, the Maryland, you know, shock trauma kind of systems that are all over the country, trying to get people in quickly. So that's one thing you can do is you can put the TPA or something like that directly in the vein. That helps. Or you can put that stuff inside a catheter and squirt it right into the clot, if you know where the clot is, if you find the clot on the MRI scan or angiogram. And then besides that, you can also put in you can put these little like corkscrew things that go into your catheter. You can actually corkscrew in and 
pull the clot out that way if you find a big one. Or you can go with a snare, like a little snare that you might use to catch a rabbit with or something, a little wire loop. You can take that, and sometimes you can wrap that around the clot and pull it out. So it's all about trying to get blood reperfused the brain. You know, my analogy is if the sprinkler head goes out in the grass, you're going to have a dead dead circle of grass, right? So the same thing in the brain. If you, have it, if you can fix that sprinkler head so that the water, the blood in this case, could perfuse the brain, then you're going to have a lot less problems with the stroke that we had before. And this stuff is evolving. You know, the type of medicine is evolving, how you give it, how long you give it, how fast you give it, mm-hmm. how long you wait to get All that stuff is changing, like, on a daily basis almost. It's crazy. Yeah, technology's taking over a lot of different things, too, you know, because I know back 20 years ago, I'd have a heart cath and go through your groin. Now they go through your wrist. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. yeah. That's getting better. Everything. Better. Years ago, I had a patient that was um, that had this big, big monster stroke. There's a lady yoga, actually doctor, lady yoga doctor. She was doing yoga in her residency. You know, new doctors don't have time for yoga. In the old days, there wasn't any yoga. Anyway, so she used to do yoga, but she got herself a blood clot right in her basal artery, which is the brain stem, you know, breathing centers. And I was there in the middle of the night reading the MRI scan. I saw this I saw this clot. It was clear as day on the MRI scan. I could see it. And I'd like to pick it out with my finger off the scan, but we didn't have any tools. It was like 25 years ago. We didn't have any tools to, uh, to do it. Now I could put a corkscrew up there and take it out and probably save her life if she died. She basically died right there on the MR scan and filmed because we couldn't do anything about it. We, we diagnosed it. The time window was good. We just didn't have the tools to do anything else. So, yeah, if you live long enough, you live long enough. You can live longer because you find out ways to cure stuff that we couldn't fix before, you know? Yeah. So it seems like you've done some interventional radiog- radiography in your day. Yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's all part, all part of that neuroradiology training, you know? It's hard. I mean, yeah. I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't do it full time. I did my training, so it was good. That's hard on you, though. I mean, you know, you're you've had a spinal cord injury yourself, so you know you've got uh, you know you've you've lived for a long time with it, and that's uh you know you're you're just a you know you're to do what you do. That's kind of an amazing feat. Well, I like it. You know, I'm motivated to do it, so that's why I like to do it. Help. You know, my case. Mm-hmm. My case took like seven years of processing. You know, I've got nice training background so I can help the veterans with their problems and makes me feel good about what I'm doing and, you know, help the next guy in line. And then also, mm-hmm. you know, I do it independently. I get the testing. You know, I make sure that stuff's accurate and the doctor who follows me is going to understand what I'm doing. But also at the same mm-hmm. time, try and, you know, Hippocratic Oath and try and cure medicine. So I get testing for esophagus make sure they have esophageal cancer we get cardiac testing and we do bladder testing and do bowel you know, i do a lot of testing to make sure patients aren't falling through the cracks for their disease processes because i get to look at the case for you know several hours whereas the clinic doctor only gets 10 minutes so that you know i can get a chance to do a whole body analysis and try and help them medically along with the va rating schedule that's the way it should work you know the, the, the veterans should be at an advantage because he's having these uh, these DVQs and these examinations because he's getting a full body analysis and more testing, right? Helping him live longer and be healthier. So that's the way the process should work if you have good doctors doing it and they have you know the ability to look around the whole body and, or test that they need. 
That's true. That's good. That is good. You know, veterans are living longer today. True as it is, you know. They've got these weight loss surgery and things like that, and they're getting healthier, and it's a, that's a good deal. Yeah, like the infections. Yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. That's what you should look. Especially since a lot of stuff brought up. What's that? Unless you go on the near death diet like I did. <laughs> I had a failed gastric sleeve and just about left the world. Did you, yeah. did you bleed or get infected? Uh, no, I actually had a blowout. Uh, one of the staples blew out the stomach, and uh, I had to oh, have, no. had, had, had two contents. more corrective surgeries. Yeah. Yeah, so I spent the uh, majority of in the last year in the hospital. Digestive, so. yeah. digestive juices are eaten inside. Oh, man. How it was ugly. That? I mean, I had to do a... Uh, uh, what happened was uh, I had surgery, and I came home on day number four. I started having stomach pain. And uh, it got later on in the afternoon. It got really severe, so we went back to emergency room and they done a couple of tests. And they finally went and done a uh, uh, upper GI or whatever it is, you know, where you yeah. where you drink. And they yeah. saw it, and then they threw me and rushed me to the OR yeah. and got it cleaned out. And then yeah. about two weeks later, yeah. they had another one. So it was a it was a fun right. time. Another blowout. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy. Yeah. Did you have any fever infection with that or not? No. Yes, I did. I did. I had uh, yeah. I had fever infection. I was septic. I had all kind of fun yeah. stuff. But yeah. uh, I the ran into a very... Septic, Go ahead. Oh, yeah, the reason you got septic audience is because it leaks uh, bowel contents. So there's a lot of sort of not sterile stuff that's yeah. leaking out in there. It's ugly. It's really ugly. But I did run across <clears> a very good infectious disease doc. It really helped me. Yeah, and, uh, he was yep. really good at what he did, and I think he's the one that kind of saved my yep. life. You know, surgery was pretty good too. But, yep. You no, know, so it was, yeah. it was a rough time. Well, it was 125 pounds ago. Oh man, <laughs> that's always a joke in medicine. Is you keep getting sicker and sicker. Eventually, you're going to see the disease doctor. You know, because that's what yeah. gets really complicated. So those ID doctors, they use, they use they do three years of maternal medicine, and then they do like three years of infectious disease. So they've got Nice long period of time of training. They can save your mm-hmm. life, yeah. Yeah. And they do. And they're good doctors. I tell you, it's a, it's a good thing I found bring this guy. So. Yeah. But, uh. Well, medicine. Dr. Well, medicine's Bash. a team. You like the radiologist? Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. When well, do you recommend, team, uh, yeah. When do you recommend a veteran to get an IMO? What stage of his claim do you recommend? Well, I like it. Yeah, I like it. I like it before the, well, I mean, right off the bat, I'm, you know, needing service. I do these cases now, patients in service, you know. It's really nice because I get, you know, because they have that benefit before discharge now. So they're having the VA doctor see them while they're in service. So, you know, if they have a medical discharge, that board sometimes is biased against the veteran. And if the VA doctor is biased against them, you know, then by the time they're exited from service and they go to the VA, they've got two, two negative reports in the record already. So what I try and do is try and get my IMO, IME testing done while they're in service. And when they're in service, all that testing is for free. And we can get it all done, you know, six months before the exit, I can get all that stuff done. When the VA doctor rolls in, he's already sees my IMO or my IME, and he's got to either disagree with me or agree with me. And if he disagrees with me, then he's 
he's not being truthful, he's going to get himself in trouble for you know malpractice thing or something like that. So normally, if I do my work and it's well documented and rationale, then they'll agree with me. And then a lot of times, if they agree with me, then the medical board also we can make that a little bit more straightforward. So then, by the time you get to the VA for the rating, the medical board lines up with the with the VA doctor's evaluation lines up my evaluation, and your rating goes through. I've had patients, I've got them. 100% right out of service doing that kind of process. So then, so if you're out of service, then you have, you know, it's nice to have an IMO or IME. That I, when I do my IMOs and IMEs, I actually will critique to the doctor and say, Dr. Smith said this. I agree with Dr. Smith on these three points, and I disagree on these other three points or whatever. You know, so I kind of referee the medical opinions, which most doctors don't do. But I know that if I don't do that, then there's no way that the rater, who's a non-doctor, has any idea to figure out who Dr. A is or who Dr. B is and which one who agrees with who and who doesn't, just the rater's confused by the whole thing. So I kind of help, it's actually helping the rater referee it. So then, you know, anytime there's, a, anytime there's a decision, especially now under the new schedule, if we have, you know, the new rating process, if we have a decision that's negative, you want to put in a supplemental claim, you have to have new evidence. And so on that new evidence, you can use an IMO, an IME, more testing, you know, so that way you get a better chance of getting a better rating because you have, really concrete new evidence coming in. And then, you know, the board, the BVA will take new evidence too, so the BVA can get evidence in. So I think any step, any any next level step, you should get IMO, IME, and also any place you have a decision, any major decision, you should think about an IMO, IME. I know it's, you know, it's, I mean, I can't even do all those IMEs, IMOs I'm talking about for all the veterans, but I'm just saying that to be a professional workup, you should really have, you know, a professional right up to make sure that all the different aspects are considered. About how many uh, IMOs and IMEs have you done, Doctor? Well, I've done, it depends how you count this stuff, right? So 20 years, I've done about 5,000 patients, you know, so if each patient, they said the average patient has seven, seven issues. So I've probably done like thirty-five, you know, forty thousand issues. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, that's a lot. I did a lot of them. Yeah, I did a lot of them. Yeah, I just knock them out. I did a lot of them. That's probably the encounter ones. I was, when I was with the paralyzed veterans. I was doing those site visits. Every two weeks, I was going on site to the big hospitals, and I was seeing. You know, we had like twenty inpatients, and I was doing lots of exams and a lot of stuff that was not. Yeah, so what we did is we I'd evaluate the patients, read the X-rays, and the bedside, and talk to the nurses. Then we debrief with the director. So I was covered a lot of issues with the director just verbally and written reports that weren't really back in that day. They weren't really IMOs, IMEs. They were they're more like issues in the hospital that were wrong that you could use to help the director understand why you need to put resources someplace. You know, this guy lost his leg because the nursing care is not good or something like that. So I just got I've got a lot of experience. You know, I've been in these VA hospitals. I know what the pressures the doctors are under. I trained in the VA hospital for three years. I talked to all the, these all these directors. We debriefed with the chief of medicine, chief of spinal cord, and the director, you know, secretary of the VA back in the day. So, you know, I understand the culture. And I understand the forces that the hospitals are under. And I understand the doctor, you know, budget. I understand all that stuff. But I don't use that as an excuse not to provide good care to the patients, and I don't use the excuse to make sure the patients get the testing they need for their DBQs and for their reading, you know.
Well, I think Clark did. Go ahead, You still travel a lot, Dr. Bash? Uh, I travel some, you know. um, Yeah, I travel some. It feels hard on me and it slows me down because I can't, you know, my files are displaced with places and then, you know, I can't work as efficiently. But, um, you know, I can be talking to traveling places, you know. I'm not nothing. Yeah. Nothing's broken. My wrists, and shoulders, all work. I can get myself around. So, yeah. But you know, I'm getting older, so it's getting harder. But you know, I still move. Yeah. I'd be nice if I have a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in California right now. For, you know, summertime. But it's nice if a couple of patients. You know, I've told people if they gather three or four patients, or, so I can go someplace and see them all at the same time. Or sometimes I'll have a. Yeah. You know, the patient wants to pay me to travel in to be an expert witness at a at a BVA hearing or a, or a DRO hearing or something like that. I guess they might mm-hmm. have, they might get rid of the DRO hearings now. This new process, but I want to do the hearings. But anyway, I tra- I've traveled in there to be an expert witness. And, you know, doing exam. You expert witness. You, you know, probably have useful. you 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 probably have a lot more success less success at the BVA level, don't you, versus the DRO? Uh. Uh, I don't know the BVA. The BVA knows me just from just from a social networking standpoint. The BVA, a lot of those judges know my work over 20 years, you know, and a lot mm-hmm. of them have been there, talking to them directly face to face over many years. So they know that I'm a straight shooter and that I try and do the best job I can. And a lot of them welcome me because they realize I read the file. They realize I have the facts straight. And, you know, what do you think, Doctor Bash? I'll tell them what I think. I'm almost like an advisor to them, you know. But the, mm-hmm. at the at the at the at the regional office level, it's more complicated because there's a lot more offices. There's 65 offices or something, and I don't know how many DROs there are, but there's several hundred of them out there. So the DROs don't necessarily know me personally as well as the BVA judges do. So that has an impact. But you know, those mm-hmm. those DROs are really like little judges. I mean, they they think the same way. They know the law. They know you know they're experienced. A lot of those DROs are more experienced than a lot of those new BVA judges now. You know, because they're new on the block, and the DROs know. The history of the VA and how it's evolved over time, and what the rating schedule's done. So, um, you know, I think it's more about the person than it is necessarily the place that I'm at. Yeah, it's true. It makes a lot of sense. It does. That is yeah. true. It's more about the person than anything else. Because you know, if they understand the work relationship you have with them, you know, they it's, it's a trust factor and things like that too. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The DRO has. You know, has a lot of liberty to decide what they want, you know. Like I did a case, I was in Baltimore, I got to sever a guy and that's it there. The DRO walks in, he has kidney disease, you know, 100% on dialysis, they're going to sever him. The DRO goes, you just wrote this letter, right? You're a doctor, right? He says, yeah. I said, yep. He says, wait a second. Walks out of the room for a couple minutes, comes back and has the patient sign the form. says, I'm not going to sever him. I'm not even going to turn the computer, I'm going to turn the recorder on. Get out of here. You know, so mm-hmm. those DROs can do, they have a lot of power to go, they could decide what they want, which is like little judges, so that's good. But, good. I don't like I said, I don't have the DROs. Are the DROs going to stay around with the new, this new process they have? Uh, I guess probably. they do the upper-level so. review, right? Yeah. Yeah. It'll be that second-level review. Measure. It is an effective measure that you with the DROs. I mean, it. Uh, yeah. Personally, I think it's, yeah, I like uh, you know, if I've, got, if I've got a claim, I'm going to the BBA, I'm not going to mess around with the DRO. 
So it's just, uh, yeah. you know, it just costs a lot of time. I mean, how many how many deer have you been to, Gerald? Oh, I don't know, several. About yeah. three, maybe four. Yeah. And so far, it's all been for not. I don't care what you show them; they got a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Same deer, Gerald. Go ahead, Doctor Bash. Oh yeah, is it the same DRO or is it different DROs? Yeah, these are different ones that I met with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I can uh, even with your IMO, I had problems yeah. with them, and then I had yeah. problems with Doctor. Ba- I mean, Doctor Bartels. Uh, See, he's a yeah. Agent Orange specialist, and yeah. he's got, I think he's got two clinics now, uh, one down in Texas and then one back east there somewhere. But yeah. uh, they had problems. It didn't matter what I showed them, you know. Uh, yeah. This is toxicity, right? Toxicity yes. Issue. And the DA just... The DA just notoriously wants to not talk about toxicity because they don't want to open the pipeline for millions of veterans. You know, so they really they, we win them, but you know, my IMO is probably still cooking for you. But you know, that, it's, it's a hard issue for the VA to want to grant this. Well, yes, it is, but they have uh, owned up to. Uh, the use of uh, BX, uh, BX modified, uh, mustard agent, uh, yeah, herbicides, right. and radiation, and and I think there's a couple more in there. So now they admitted that. I just say, it was well, mustard, we got, right? We thought yours was mustard, right? With that mustard or something? What was yes, mustard agent. Yeah, right, right, right. I think that's what they admitted, got they admitted you're exposed to, but now they don't want to, they don't want to admit to the nexus, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I probably wrote a strong I don't remember, but I probably wrote a strong letter about the nexus. So you do. Yeah, another one split hairs. Another one of split hairs and full body exposure. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, the trustee was exposed low low dose, right? Something like that? Uh, well, if you were in field testing, that's classified as full body exposure. So they couldn't really get away from that. Uh, but it's still, they've kept it in the appeal stage. So yeah. I, I can't get them to render a decision. They keep remanding. And, you probably uh, have a big retroactive award, right, Gerald? It's a big retroactive award. <laughs> yeah. If I live That's long why enough, yeah. Right. That's why they're trying to delay it. Right. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. So it's going to add up to quite some money right now. Yeah. I, I, I kind of pictured is that... Oh, good. I kind of picture this as a Tremors movie with a guy has got all explosives on his truck in that warehouse and all them monsters in there trying to eat that MREs out of his truck. He set that truck off. <laughs> and 
he runs by the building and told everybody to run. This is going to be big. And they stopped about 100 feet. He said, no, it's going to be bigger than that. They take off the road. go But somebody might now the pole vault. You know, the first the first one foot of the pole vault's easy. The last twenty feet is almost impossible. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like the VA, first ten percent easy and ninety percent, hundred percent possible. Yeah, and they give you that they give you that Take second foot stick. They use this. Right. Well, that's a good handle. Right. That's a good handle. Yeah. yeah. You got to stick that stick in the hole. Well, just gonna, in order to do it. Yeah, they don't. They don't yeah, they don't understand because they, they say, oh, man, the first 10% was so easy. You know, then how come this last 10% is so hard? You know? It's that 60-foot pole, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a 60-foot pole in VA math. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get 90% in order to get 100, you got to get you got to get more than 10% because they don't, uh, the 10 after 90 is only 1%. Exactly. Yeah, fifty says where you are. You might be. You might be eighty-eight too, eighty-seven. Yeah, it's a long so way to get there. Yeah. yeah. So at least you're going, you have to have ten tens at ninety percent to even get a hundred or eleven tens. I mean. Yeah. 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 Uh, I don't know who came up with this math, but it's uh, it's it, it's not it's not your mother's math. I didn't learn this in school either. Yeah. Well, you know they got a good bonus. Yep. <laughs> Disappearing math. Yeah. <clears throat> well, Doctor Bash, are you service connected yourself? Well, yeah, yeah. You are, aren't you? Spinal cord. I got hurt. Mm. Yep, yep. Spinal cord. Like I said, my case took seven years. You know, because it. Uh, I got hurt sports, and then. I think the problem. Well, the problem with me is that I was young, right? So I was like right. twenty-seven years old. So I didn't want any part. They weren't even part of giving me a big, you know, give me a spinal cord award because I'd be living my 33. They saw me living 33 years, you know. So they didn't want any yeah. part of granting that. Number one. Number two, I got hurt in med school and then I went to the rehab and then I popped out and started back in med school in my wheelchair. So they're like thinking, well, this guy's fit. Well, I wasn't very fit, but I was tenacious, you know. And so that was mm-hmm. the, that also hurt me a little bit. But, yeah. you know, I got through it. My doc had to write like five letters, you know. And, Oh my God! I had to go down to the BVA and talk to the. I was down there, back in the day, the BVA building was open to the public, right? So I went down there yeah. on Friday afternoon, and one of the raiders, one of the, oh, I don't know, he must have been a, I don't know what his role was. He must have been like a, one of the decision team members, you know. He was like, "Who are you?" I said, oh, "Doc." He was your doctor in wheelchair. You didn't just fall off an apple truck. I said, "No, I, you know, I'm hurt." My case is here somewhere, so he pulled it off the shelf and decided in a couple of weeks. It'd probably still be on the shelf. I would go down there, you know. It's crazy. Well, they give you a hard time with your medical doctor. Did they listen? You know, did they give oh. you a hard time over your own pains and stuff? Because I know that I know they got their they got slapped oh. for doing that once to a doctor. Oh, I mean, with me, as far as me, my opinions, Doctor Pons. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Pons. He was a like a chiropractor, and he got a jeep wreck overseas, and they didn't. They kept discounting his opinion, even though he's a medical doctor. And he well, finally yeah, won the claim. Yeah, I mean, 
Oh yeah, well, my, yeah. I didn't, I didn't write for my, for my own for my own claim because it would be like bias, you know. Although the VA, the VA actually can allow that because your expertise. But I have my own doctor. I have my own doctor write letters for me, you know. So I took five of his letters. But uh, the VA over the years has said derogatory things about me, you know, at the BVA level and the, and the you know the admin side and chief of benefits and so. I think I have three or four letters of apology from these high-level, you know, board appeals. So, you know, so now that was my first start, and they were really kind of had an abuse response. But now they kind of, if they recognize me as an expert and, um, you know, don't try to degrade me based on a personal attack, they, we just talk about the facts of the record, you know, and the data, the medical data and the, medical opinions and the rationale, so it's more peaceful now than it was when I first started. That's good. That is good. Um, question about uh, what are the grades of a spinal cord injury as far as, you know, complete, incomplete, things like that? Yeah, so those are interesting terms like you know, when you think about complete, you might think about the cord being cut all the way across, right? But there's start really like that. The cord is called a cord because it's really strong. It's 10,000 fibers, like I said, go down through there. So the guy in Australia has like 12, like about almost 2,000 spinal cords. And out of all those cords, there's only a couple of them actually are really what's called transected, you know? So, so most of the cords are still intact at some level. And it's the same thing with the brain. The faster you get it treated, decompress the more fibers you can save and it functions better. So once you have some function, then, you know, complete, sometimes if you have a bad stroke or blood clot or infection, sometimes you can cut off the blood supply of the cord and, you know, the cord will die and then you'll have what's called a complete injury, which means there's not much function. There's some accessory pathways, but not much function below the cord. And then the incompletes are the other category where you have some residual function below. And so, that's part of it. That's kind of a general term. And then we're getting better with imaging. We're going to be able to use imaging and grade these things in a more sophisticated way based on, you know, area volume and signal changes. And that's going to make a difference in how we treat it. But then, so once you have this incomplete thing, then you have to go through the testing. That's where the DVQ concepts come in. It's not really on DVQ, but you muscle strength testing and sensory testing and range of motion. And then you do vibration position, maybe hot, cold, and, an idea of what's going on in the different extremities and you get that radiculopathy and myelopathy so you can get rated for some percent for your cord and you also get rated for some percent for your radiculopathy for each extremity and you get rated for the bowel bladder lots of functions stuff like that I all gets into that into that special monthly compensation schedule right you can't use your legs. Yeah. Makes a lot of Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. But your spinal, I mean, it could affect it a lot, every system in your body, even muscle too, couldn't it? Yep. Yep. It affects yeah. the immune system, it affects the bowel, you know, it affects your bones, the osteoporosis, skin. Really, it's really complicated. Mm-hmm. You, know, you need to get out of control blood pressure. High and low, just reflexive stuff. You can die from that. 
You can die from hypo uh-huh. or hyperthermia. You can die from uh-huh. blood loss. You can't compensate for your blood loss. You know, just a, and then complicating that, a lot of times you're throwing these meds at the patients. You're throwing these pain pills at the patients so their brains are obtunded and they, you know, they fall asleep on the heater and burn themselves or they, they'll get too cold and yeah. freeze to death or you know, they'll get infected and not feel it and not understand why their blood pressure is going through the ceiling. And, you know, four spinal cord guys, to, to, you know, all those guys, and all the neurologic guys, if their brain's not working well, then they can't protect themselves. Multiple sclerosis, all those guys are... You know, big yeah. Yeah. Tar you can't drive. Yeah. Get went over in the wheelchair. Still yeah. Do you still yeah, drive? Yeah, I'm still driving. I'm start, yeah, I still drive. I'm starting to get away from that too. My kids, my family doesn't want to ride me. You're not, I don't want to ride with you. You're not driving that well. <laughs> <laughs> I go, I go, I go across town. I go across town, it takes five minutes to stretch, and I'll take all right-hand turns. It takes me ten minutes because I don't want to go make left-hand turns. You know, left-hand mm-hmm. turns are dangerous if you across the highway. or I'll, I'll take a road that doesn't have any speedboat signs because I don't want to rattle my spine around. It's, you know, it's crazy. Well, that's really, you know, that's good. At least you got hand controls in your car. Well, yeah, and also, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. You know, I know, so, uh, you know, you know Charles Krausheimer, don't you? Yeah, 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 I have a friend of a friend. Poor Charles. Yeah, so Charles, he, uh, Charles died of, uh, you know, they think the newspaper said something about stomach cancer, maybe, or some kind of bowel cancer. So I looked up, you know, if you yeah. look up spinal cord cancer, I was thinking, well, I know about bladder cancer, but almost all cancers in spinal cord are five and three, four, five, ten times increased. What's that mm-hmm. about? Right, so that's the way we're gonna die. The spinal cord or infection yeah. or skin breakdown or cardiac disease. Mm-hmm. You know, we're also gonna die of cancer. Probably yeah, it's kind of weird, no. Extra. Yeah, yeah. I thought they got his, but he's, they didn't get it all. Guessing it. Yeah. Well, pretty sad. Probably was, spinal cord. You don't have. Yeah, he's a good asset. Good nice guy. But probably the. Uh, you know, spinal cord, you don't feel it, so you might not have much sensation with, with that cancer for a long time before it actually became a problem. The other thing that happens to spinal cord, that happens with me too, is that, you know, we all have chronic pain, right? So maybe our chronic pain might be right. some number of units. Some number of units, say they're, say they're 900 units out of maximum 1,000, 800 units, some, some, right. some number, big number. That's your baseline pain. So then, so then say you get a little toothache, and you go, oh, toothache. A toothache's like a five, a ten, twenty, some number small, right? But in comparison mm-hmm. to your spinal cord pain, it's like it's like nothing. So you just like ignore it. I'm not gonna pay attention. It's nothing. Whereas if I was a normal mm-hmm. person, the toothache pain would be my number one thing to take me to the hospital. Whereas the spinal cord guy doesn't even care because it's like in the grass, right? It's minus, minus, mediocre. Right. And so crowd harm might be like good. that. He might have a little belly pain that he didn't really pay attention or think was much of anything, you know. And maybe I'm just, I'm just speculating, but I know from my own experience I've done stuff like that where things are can be seriously painful problem and the normal person would always ignore it. Yeah, Not you won't basically even know it really. Yeah, it's masked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like a lot exactly of diabetics. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like a lot of diabetics having, yeah. 
know yeah. a lot of diabetics had heart attacks and passed away, and they didn't know it. Yeah, because they've got like neuropathy, mm. right? You got extremity pain, and yeah. heart attack was nothing in comparison. That's exactly right. Yeah. It's all relative. Okay. The relative pain is small mm-hmm. compared to what you know. Well, Dr. Basher, I heard about it, buddy. I wanted to thank you for coming on. We need to do this again in a couple of weeks until we get all these bashful and covered. Yeah. So yeah, we'll knock them off one by one. Come back and join us. Yep, yeah, yeah, we'll knock them off one by one. Just take them out. Okay. You want to give your uh, all right. Give us your contact oh, information yeah. for location. We uh, location. Yeah, location. Yep. So. Once again, I always tell people to Google Craig Bash on Google. If that's easy, way to find me, get my website. But besides that, then you can go Dr. Bash, like Delta Romeo Bash, last name, and then at D O C T O R. So it's at doctor dot com. And then you know my my cell is text is two four zero five zero six one five five six two four zero five zero six one five five six. But a good way to get me is call Skip. Skip's my schedule, guys. Skip is nine two five three eight one seven five six one. Nine two five three one seven five six one. Yep. All right. Call All Skip. Right. Schedule a half hour free consultation. Skip, is that your? Uh, ain't that your computer guy? Uh, skips my schedule. Skip does my scheduling stuff for me. You know, he's fielding my emails oh, okay. and my phone calls, and then sets up a call schedule. So I just tell patients oh, okay. how to get a hold of me. But what you just call Skip. Skip can get me a. Skip can get you a half hour. Phone conversation the next day or the same day he just calls me up and sets it up. So that's what he did. No problem. No, crazy. Yeah, we appreciate Dr. Bash. Thanks for coming on, Dr. Bash. We really appreciate yep. it. All right. Yep. You're welcome. Right. See you guys later. Thank you. Gerald, okay. thanks for coming yeah. on, buddy, and being being our co-host today. I haven't done this show very often, but I think I want to do some more here pretty soon. But uh, <laughs> with that. Well, I'm <laughs> glad to be able to and thank you, yeah. Dr. Bass, for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks, boys. Yep. See you later. With that, this is DJ Bass, with Mr. Gerald Cook and Dr. Bash. We'll be signing off for now. You have been listening to the Basser Hour. The Basser Hour is brought to you by Hattit.com. Stay tuned next week for another edition of the Basser Hour and the Hattit.com Blog Talk Radio Show. Thanks for listening. Have a good Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.